Hello folks, Greg Domwich here, dishing up a little news, then we're going to dish up a little podcast, so let's get right into it with the reviews department. That hard-working Audra Bowling brings us our first review I'm going to tell you folks about, Greedfall. Nice, complex, morally challenging, narrative-driven uh, RPG, kind of in the vein of the old Bethesda, Black Isle, all that sort of stuff used to be at. It was reviewed by Audra for us, and overall, it's looking like a pretty solid game. If you kind of like that hearkening back with a new spin on it, check out the review and see what you have to say. Next up is yet another niche review from Neil Shandron of a visual novel from Truett Pixel, A Cash Path of the Five, which, again, it looks beautiful, for and uh, the production value of this visual novel is stunning, so go check out his review, and if you're into visual novels, this might be the one for you. Do you know Link's Awakening came out again? It did! And it got editor's choice from Jonathan Logan for us. Overall, he seems super pleased by it. Mark talks about it on this episode. He seems super pleased by it. I want to get it, but I have too much to play. But I'll get back to it. Go read Jonathan Logan's review. See why he liked it so darn much. Did I not just tell you how hardworking Audrey is? Uh, she also reviewed Neocab for us. A swell graphic adventure uh, developed by Chance Agency. And this thing is brimming with style as well. Overall, seems like a really great game that has a lot of replayability for a visual novel. So, a lot of kind of different turns you can take. <laughs> it's a cab game. Get it? Turns? Uh, next review. Code Vein also dropped. Uh, as far as I understand, it's kind of like a anime sort of Souls game. Either way, this is Kyle's first review for RPG Fan. Kyle, who you know and love on our Twitch channel. Uh, decided to uh, come in and review something, and he was super happy to get his words out in print. Kyle, good job. Thanks for the great review. Go read it yourselves, folks, and see what Kyle had to say about Code Vein. Bob Richardson had a little bit of uh, startup difficulties with Borderlands 3. It's a great game, by and large, but the technical issues uh, while he was playing was a, a fun saga to follow in our uh, Slack account. Thankfully, Bob was able to get his way through it, and uh, yeah, overall, despite the technical issues, still found some good stuff in the game. It just might be a bit lacking. Go see how he mitigated his problems, see what Gearbox's latest entry in their franchise has to offer, and we'll go on with uh, a really swell review that I've been anticipating for a while. This one comes from Alana Heggs, who was lucky enough to get her hands on Indivisible. This game looks so lovely, and apparently is holding up brilliantly. Lab Zero Games has brought us this wonderful side-scrolling traditional RPG, and yeah, check out the review, check out this game, it's looking awesome, and I can't wait to get my hands on it as well, because Alana's review has got me stoked on it. More obscure things, Neil Chandran expressed uh, how excited he was to get into You Know, a girl who chants love at the bound of this world. I know nothing about You Know, but as far as I know, I think he's played them in the past or something. Either way, he was very excited to dive into another entry in the series and yeah again if you're into visual novels so was neil and you can go check out why he likes them so much keep him busy with more graphic adventures jonathan logan was into whispers of a machine and overall seems to really enjoy this well-told story that again is visually stunning i love how much like the graphic adventures and visual novels are really stepping up their games to be so engaging visually because obviously that's you know, it's in the title, it's what they got going for them, but it's just incredible how uh, how much the, the margins they're pushing, considering how 
I guess, simple the gameplay is. I mean, it's all based around the narrative and that complexity and other mechanics. Anyways, it's very cool. Whispers of the Machine looks really neat. Go check out Jonathan's words on the subject. Tris Mendoza, who I don't think we've heard from for a while, but I can think of, uh, was reviewing Spirit Hunter NG for us and seems quite overwhelmingly positive about it and how superb the story is and how great everything kind of comes together in this wonderful review uh, of the game from uh, Ghostlight Limited and Experience Inc. And that is our uh, plethora of reviews. There has been a lot going on in the department, a lot of great reviews coming out, a lot of great games coming out, as we have been complaining about on the podcast for ages. This is a good problem to have. Uh, but over to the music department, Saga The Stage, The Seven Warriors Return original soundtrack was dropped on CD. Uh, this 21-track CD was reviewed by, you guessed it, Patrick Gann, and it sounds lovely. So enjoy listening to those tunes that are in the background, because as you may have noticed, usually I throw the music in the background of the soundtrack reviews I talk about. Look at that. And if there are none, it's probably music from something we talked about. Anyways, I'll stop talking so you can hear more talking about things on the podcast episode. Thanks for listening to the news. On to episode 172. Hello folks, we're back with some more Random Encounter. We are episode 172, is that right? Yes, I think it's 172. And I'm Greg Dalmage, your host for this week. I am joined by uh, a lovely couple of folks uh, returning to the podcast. Joe Padilla, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. Not a worries. Joe, where can people find you on the interwebs, aside from the uh, RPG fan social media, or is that the best place? Uh, that's probably the best place, but you can also find me on... Twitter, uh, the Discord, and Instagram as at Queers for Fears. I enjoy it. And we have, uh, I think, uh, Mark, this is uh, your first time on podcast, or have you been on before? I can't remember. Mark Chan, everybody. Mark? Hi there. Uh, no, I have not been on the podcast before, so. Really? Here. Lovely. Mark, what do you do for RPG fans? I feel like we're getting a lot of, uh, not quote-unquote randoms, so to speak, but just people who aren't usually the face of RPG fan, which has been really nice. It's been nice getting some new voices and not the usuals uh, like it used to happen on the podcast. Um, but yeah, what do you do for RPG fan, Mark? That That's a big question. Many things, but the primary thing that uh, people will eventually see the fruits of is I am the back-end editor, um, so I do the web development. Woo-hoo. Yeah, so I do the web development uh, and help out with the design and things like that. I've also contributed to like soundtracks and regular reviews, but mostly I just do. I'm, I'm the code monkey. Well, thanks for uh, coding it up for us because we got a lovely site between yourself and I'm assuming uh, Mike. Yeah. Uh, Salvato does a bunch of that stuff as well. Thank you both for your hard work because uh, yeah, it looks great and keeping it running is probably not an easy job. No problem. But, uh, yeah, so uh, we have two Canadians, and uh, this guy Joe, or this person Joe over here, who's uh, from 
the, the Chicago. I can't remember. <laughs> yep. I'm yep from the Chicago area. Never lived anywhere else, but yep. Have you never you've never uh, gotten out of that area? No, I've only lived in or around Chicago all my life. Um, so I'm going to have to. What what is it that that my government would expect? Like defend defends American values or something like that on on this podcast or uh no probably not i mean <laughs> if you can if you want to but uh, i think we're okay i'm a puerto rican american okay so i'm not going to do that RPG at all fan values. <laughs> i can defend the values of rpgs i can't defend anything about the countries which i exist anyway listen you people you people think that poutine can be made with shredded cheese and you're wrong <laughs> well you know what i've never even had poutine so hmm well, we need to get you up here and educate you, apparently, because that would be uh, in your b- best interest to enjoy proper poutine. I have heard that many times. I mean, I, for one, cannot enjoy proper poutine and without it uh, killing my stomach, so thanks, lactose intolerance. But, you know, I can enjoy some vegan poutine. I know it's not quite the same, but it's still very tasty, so fries, gravy, cheese, it's what's not to like. Cheese with a Z. <laughs> cheese. Oh, gosh. Anyways, we're here to talk about RPGs. We're not going to get so far off track like we did last episode, but I thank you folks for uh, coming along with us. It was a lot of fun talking mechs and such. Uh, We have since caught up a bit on mechs with uh, Mark here, who is also an aficionado of the mecha genre, especially Gundam. Uh, You are far more... um, far more deeply involved in the Gundam oeuvre than I have ever been. Yeah, Gundam's one of those things that I am... I can't even call myself like a very good fan because I can't do things like identify specific mobile suits by their numbers. You know, I haven't, Ditto. Ditto. I haven't memorized every pilot. Uh, I hate Gundam Seed, so I'm just like, a, <laughs> I'm just a pariah from like one half of the fandom. Um, <laughs> but I, I love, I love my big space robot boys and uh, all that they do in service to whatever fictional cause they have. They've been employed. In. I don't know. My the latest one I just watched was the unicorn one, and that kind of throws back to like Londo Bell and all that stuff. And all I can think of is just like takeout tacos whenever they talk about Londo Bell, and I just want someone to make that T-shirt or something. Yeah, I love I, I love that unicorn is continuing the uh, the United Sen or sorry the Universal Century uh, plotline. It's 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 doing okay. Like it did okay. It it wasn't the best thing on the planet, but I also no. think it was fine. I think it was fine, and I'm glad that it we was have fine. an origin now because that's telling Shar's background. Shar, who is uh, that eternal hero that everyone in Gundam absolutely loves, and like Sex Marquis kind of tried to be, but not. Yeah, well, I mean, even in Unicorn, Full Frontal was the Shar. Yeah, exactly. Even with, like it's it, as soon as you see someone with a mask, you're like, cool, you're the Shar. Yeah. Trope namer, named after a famous uh, French singer, um, Charles Andazvor. I can't, I can't pronounce his last name. Aznabel? Yeah, well, it wasn't Aznabel, but it's... Oh, the, the one that the, he was named after, gotcha. Azna, and it's like Azdanvor or something? I'll, I'd have to look it up. I really pray that one of our listeners out there is just that, like, that niche like French music fandom person that's just like it's this yeah just so mad at us right now comments. <laughs> that's sometimes me but uh not this time <laughs> this isn't your specific niche <laughs> no i I, no, I can talk a little sergey against war or you know something but but this is something beyond my uh this intersection of 
of French music and Gundam is a bit beyond me because I've only seen two Gundam series. So, I think being in Canada gives us a little more access to the French music side of this uh, odd intersection. <laughs> and even then, this is all news to me that there was this intersection in the first place. So, but it goes to show you're not from an important part of Canada, Greg. <sighs> I just make. You know, I'm in part of the place that makes more than half of our films for the States. I guess. <laughs> I know. It's not Toronto. The universe doesn't revolve around us like it does you. But here we are. At any rate, RPGs. That's what we talk about in Random Encounter, right? Role-playing game fan, not giant robot fan. Right. Speaking of which, didn't you want... Uh, well, I guess Common Rider isn't giant robots. No, it is is small, armored people. (laughs) What is a common, and how does one ride it? (laughs) Mike Solosi is so mad at me right now. (laughs) (laughs) So Somewhere Solosi's ears just perked up, like, I know somebody is committing blasphemy! Alright, so RPGs. Yeah, you, uh, I guess the most latest and greatest release uh, is Link's Awakening, which came out when was that it's like a week ago now oh like two weeks yeah something like that i just finished it up my wife is still playing through it it was her birthday present actually i've only gotten through it faster by virtue of having played it as a child on the game boy and loving every god danged moment of it it looks charming as heck and i can't wait to dive into it i'm gonna hold off on it for myself yeah, it looks so good, and I've only played a bit of the first one. Is it pretty, like, true one-to-one? Yeah, um, I, I would say it's not one-to-one exactly, because they had to do a lot with it. How, how shall I put it? It's it's an excellent upgrade. It's it's taking everything that the original had and dialing it up, you know, to, to 11, essentially, making making all the quality-of-life improvements, with a couple of exceptions here and there, and... Generally, like, the actual quest progress is more or less one-to-one what the original game was, but there, there's a few extra things. You know, they've put in a couple of extra little dungeons to help you out. They've, they've added what I, what I think is a little, more, uh, a little more in the way of, like, heart replenishment and things like that. You have fairies uh, in bottles now, so you have, you know, an extra chance against the boss. Of course, Crazy Tracy's still in the game, and uh, her, in, in both the original and in this one, Crazy Tracy is my favorite kind of forgotten Nintendo character, because she is the person who gives you, like, the medicine, her special, her special medicine, that if you get killed, essentially functions like a fairy in any other game and revives you with full hearts. But it's very clear, especially now, with the way that they've designed her... Uh, room to have like all these heart motifs and all this kind of very sensual uh, interior design going on. Crazy Tracy is a sex worker. There, there's no two ways about this. She's yes. a sex worker. It kind of falls back to um, Adventure of Link. Yeah, no, exactly. Like she is, she is the woman in the red dress who leads you inside and replenishes your health. And it's just like, yeah, all right. All right, I can I can get behind that. I mean, this is a, this is Nintendo, so the sex worker just smiles at you and blows you a kiss, sort of stuff. But uh, we all we all know what they're implying. <laughs> it's so saucy, and yeah, just how much of that gets lost in the um, translation when it gets localized or not? Because <laughs> I know we are notoriously 
uh, safer in North America once the localization goes through. Yeah. Um, so you're saying there's been a lot of like quality of life stuff. What was the stuff that you said was kind of missing from the quality of life improvements? Okay, so the actual quality of life improvements are things like we have more buttons now, therefore like run is attached to a specific shoulder button. Thank goodness. So is holding up your shield. You know, you don't have to have those things equipped. Oh gosh, that was, that was a dream because that was the biggest thing that plagued all three of those Game Boy ones. And I get it, they did what they could, and, but it was so tedious going in and out of menus. Oh my gosh. Oh, absolutely. Things, things I think that they should have done that they didn't. Um, they should have mapped Rock's Feather, the jump, to a specific button rather than having to make you equip it because you use it almost everywhere once you get it. And it's not like, you know, like, Somebody, I remember on Twitter, made the argument, well, it's an item, therefore, you know, they couldn't map it to a button. But that, that's simply not true. The Pegasus boots are an item in this. You know, your ability to run, you get it at a certain point, And that's mapped to a button by default. So is the shield. Um, so they could have just mapped it to, like, one of the one of the trigger buttons, I think would have done fine. Yeah, It could have been just, like, a week, uh, Leap to the Past and or Leap Between Worlds. Once you get the, like, certain items are usable items and certain items are just passive and just happen once yeah. you have them. They're, like, upgrades, like, in Metroid and such. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the big one, is just, I was always having to keep Rock's Feather on all the time anyway, so why not just make it a button? Um, and I guess the other thing was, and I guess this is where Tracy's medicine comes in versus fairies, is that you have to take fairies out of the bottle to use them. They don't just auto-activate when you die. Yeah, I learned like kind you, of the hard way. Like you have to like have them just like hang out around you? How does that work? So basically it's when you're getting low on health, pop the bottle, press X or Y, whichever you mapped it to, and then the fairy will auto-refill like auto -refill you. But you have to trigger it. You can't just fall down and the fairy comes out of the bottle. Like in the... Oh, that's... Yeah, that's contrary to uh, what we are used to. Unfortunate. Yeah. And and yeah, it's, you know, it's against expected behavior, I suppose. Uh, so I died the first time going, wait, I had a fairy. What the hell? So it's not an auto-revive. They're just, uh, again, just the most powerful like, healing potion thing you can get. Well, besides Crazy Tracy's medicine, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I guess in Crazy Tracy's medicine, it does revive you if you die. Yeah, it's it's the auto revive. So so I guess that's why they just wanted to keep it relevant. Yeah, it fulfills that, which is cool. It's just why did you also give us bottle fairies then, and not tell us you have to release them? Yeah, that uh, subverts expectation, as you said. Uh, I'm very excited to get into it with. Um, I don't think I'm going to explore it much, the whole aspect of collecting all the different puzzle parts and stuff for the uh, puzzle dungeons, because I just don't have people around me with that many switches, which is the whole point. Like, I think it's amiibo trading them and stuff like that, but it might be something fun for Gwen to kind of build and throw at me and such. Did you get much use out of that functionality? So I, I, I played around with it a bunch. It's fun. It's definitely something I think if you're if you're younger, you'll definitely enjoy it a lot more than an, than an older person will. For me, it was just sort of, it's a nice it's a nice addition, I suppose. I didn't really care to do it very much. I think even, you know, younger audiences will get a little bored with it. But if you do have a lot of friends who, you know, have the game and you want to trade Amiibos, I think that that's definitely a way that that will actually serve that function. But as a standalone thing, it, it's just okay. I found, I found it 
mostly just, you know, ultimately you could just pass it up. So it doesn't have any, like, necessary stuff for for gameplay? Because like, I know you get some bonus hearts and stuff through it, but it's, you can kind of live without it if you had to? Yeah, pretty much. Unless you're invested in, like, getting 100%. Basically don't need to do it at all. Uh, I think you just need to talk to Dampe once to, like, open it up. Um, I'm not even sure you need to talk to him. I know he hangs out, like, wherever you are until you talk to him. So, I mean, if you just want Dampe to stop creeping you, then talk to him. It's it's not really entitled. I mean, I don't know. I don't mind having Dampe around. <laughs> well, that's great, though. And yeah, the story and everything else remains pretty much untouched from the original. Did they keep more or less the original localization, or did they have to adapt that a bit too? I think the so the localization text has been updated a little bit. It's you know a little more verbose here and there, as far as I can tell. Um, it's been a while since I played the Game Boy original, so I don't actually know how much it's been improved. But by and large, it's the it's the same text, it's the same script, it's the same progression. I think uh, there's only been like a few cleanups here and there, and some additions for things like the color dungeon and things like that. Where uh, in the color dungeon you can um, you can change your 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 vest to green or from green to blue or red, and that gives you more attack or more defense power, and that's sort of a new thing. Yeah, outside of that, I think it's pretty much all the same. That's pretty cool. The soundtrack has kind of been played around with in some cases remastered, in some cases like remixed and given different stylings, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, in in it's a huge uh, departure from the original because obviously we can't just have Game Boy chiptune <laughs> anymore. It would sound very strange. So they they arranged it quite a bit. Uh, I think all of the new all of the new music is excellent, though I would say that in one case with uh, Tall Tall Heights, which used to be my favorite song, it's still good, but. I think that the chiptune version of Tall Tall Heights is better. Uh, if only because like the highs are higher and it, it, it really in the new one takes on a Gerudo Valley sort of sound, you know, like uh, a little bit of like the same progression, you know, throwing some Spanish guitar and castanets and things like that. And that's not a bad thing. It's just not the same song. Gotcha. It's, too much almost yeah it's just it, it's very different it's it's not it doesn't fulfill the same thing for me it's not as memorable in my opinion hmm. interesting could be a controversial thought who knows but tata heights is like legit an amazing song i haven't listened to any of the soundtrack and from what i heard from at least the like preview stuff and everything is it was sounding a lot like uh the music from nintendo land i've always kind of put these two together with like how They've kind of toyified the entire uh, stylization of the game, and right down to the music as well. It kind of seems very like toy boxy, and very much in that vein. So, yeah, I'm assuming some tra- tracks will possibly lose some of their nostalgic touch and love, but ultimately, um, it's likely coming out better in the end anyway, and for the most part. So, good to see it, uh, or I guess good to hear that it's holding up. Yeah. Now, um, one thing that was said in uh, John's, I think it was John who did our review for us, he was saying that it doesn't have a lot of replay value. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I mean, there's there's a cleared file uh, function now where you can go and do your 100%ing. 
I would definitely say there's not a lot to come back to unless you're invested in the Dompe thing. It's a short game. It's, you know, 8 to 12 hours at most. Uh, so, like, half the time you spend with uh, Link's Awakening, let's say. But I would say that's, you know, e- even, even if you kind of rate games by their time, time versus, versus money spent, uh, I think it's I think it's money well spent, time well spent because it's a very solid ten hours. It's a very coherent and well developed and just joyful ten hours. There's nothing in the game that ever made me feel oh god this is boring or oh god this is dragging. And I think it's willingness to like not not essentially not pad things out is is key to that. Which I find most of the games, I mean, the, the Game Boy ones especially aren't guilty of that. Like, they're all pretty straight and direct. I didn't really feel with either Oracle game either that you, uh, that it really dragged on. Yeah. And Link's Awakening, I'm glad, kind of set that pace to just kind of go through and make it a, a small, quick, digestible little experience that you can take on the go. And it's, I'm glad they didn't really mess with that by feeling they had to make it bigger or more than it was. Like, I guess Dompe does that a bit, but it, again, like you said, it's not essential, so you can take it or leave it, which is great. Yeah, and uh, I think I think that definitely, like, because the Switch is seen, at least partially, as a handheld, especially with the Switch Lite, it's such an accessible little pick-up-and-play-and-put-down-when-you-want-to game. You're not you're not fretting over, like, getting to the next save point or anything like that, because, you know, it's just not built that way. And you don't feel like you have to invest any more time than is absolutely necessary with this. And I think that's like, that's a really big bonus. So, I mean, it, it retains that Game Boy playability to everything. And I know some people were complaining about, you know, oh, is it worth full price? And it's like, absolutely. It's absolutely worth full price. It's, it was worth full price back when it was released on Game Boy. It's certainly worth full price now. You know, there's been immense love and care put into the into remaking this. And that's the thing that I think shows the most from any of the trailers and such that I've seen so far. Do you think this game will have much of an impact in the speedrunning community at all? That one is hard to say. I don't think it's long enough, per se, for speedrunners in the action RPG genre or the RPG genre straight up to probably want to you know trick through it very much. But who knows? I mean, there's there's all sorts of little things I'm sure that the speedrunners are hell-bent on getting around. Like, uh, early on, when you're trying to get to the second dungeon in Bottle Grotto, you usually have to pick up Bow Wow to, like, chomp away at the flowers to enter the dungeon. I'm sure there's a way around that. I'm sure that speedrunners have industriously found it, and uh, I'm, I look forward to seeing the YouTube recordings of their efforts. Well, that's excellent. And Joe, I think last time you were on, we were talking about your exposure to Legend of Zelda, which is not much, or is that? Yeah, so I've played so I've played quite a few Zelda games. So I've finished Breath of the Wild, Ocarina of Time, Skyward Sword. So I, most of my most of my experience is with the 3D ones, though I have played Minish Cap and a little bit yeah. of. Uh, links to the past but didn't uh finish those so but i'm i'm interested in links awakening i love i love the way it looks i love what i've heard of the soundtrack and um it just seems 
to be full of little little bespoke oddities that I really love seeing in Nintendo games of its ilk. So I'll probably pick it up at, at some point, but my I've I tend to be very um kind of regimented in a way with games where I'm like, okay, this is going to be what I play for the next three months. And there isn't a whole lot of deviation from that. And that's totally fair. It's time and money investment. Yeah. Unless there's like a really good sale um, or something like that. Or if there's a podcast episode coming up, something like that. So, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely keen to play it at some point. Well, and that's, yeah, it, it looks like one that's going to be unavoidable for anybody who, enjoys well whimsy enjoys the nintendo the whole there anything in their franchise like it's just it's a great looking game that's going to be super fun to play and uh yeah i if i wasn't for my own backlog i'd already have it as well but i need to focus on getting through things like uh, the next game i want to talk about which is monster hunter world iceborne goodbye to your life more or less yeah uh so i came out on september 6th and we've got it for review i've just been backlogged because my wedding happened like just before that i was trying to plow through moonlighter and i also wasn't at a place where i could dive into the content yet because you had to be a certain uh hunter rank from the first game to unlock the content for this one so i had to plow through to get to the end of the content that i thought i was at but there was more end game stuff that i had to do to get myself caught up to a place where I could dive into Iceborne. But having gotten into it and uh, re-experiencing the game, it's made me fall in love with Monster Hunter World again. I've never been a big Monster Hunter player. Back when World dropped, though, it looked, from what everyone was saying, to be the most inclusive Monster Hunter experience that has kind of been made. Uh, I've tried some demos for some in the past on the 3DS and such, and it just didn't seem intuitive to me, and I bounced off it and... It wasn't for me, but this one really is very exciting. The Each of the maps is are like a wonder to explore. The monsters are really neat watching them just kind of endemically live in the environments and how they interact with each other, how they interact with the environments. It's very cool to unlock little secrets as you go and explore things throughout the missions and just from your own explorations. And that's what's cool, too, is you can do like the actual focused quests, so... You can just play it as like a grindy quest RPG, but they also have expeditions where if you just want to go wander around in the maps and explore and get into whatever you want to get into, I thought that was a very neat thing to bring to this kind of game. Mm-hmm. Have either of you... Yeah, I've played a bit of Monster Hunter World. Um, I haven't played uh, Iceborne yet, but, you know, it's definitely the most accessible. Uh, having pl- tried to play the Wii version and, and one on the DS, uh, 3DS rather, definitely the simplified menus help. Uh, it's not such a deep dive into every little piece of minutia. You know, it's it, it's a lot more like a big buck trophy hunting, but for Lord of the Rings fans. <laughs> That's a really great way to put it. And even then, there's still so much minutia with like each different piece of equipment having different uh, benefits. It gives you not just in its stat bonuses, but the um, the skills and such like that, and trying to balance those out to get the most that you want to go into a specific thing, and hunting specific monsters, tracking them down and learning about them. So when you first encounter them, it's kind of a trial and error and hope for the best. But as you start picking up like their traces from their tracks and their slobber and feathers and whatever else they've dropped, you learn things about them. So then you can unlock like, oh, this one's weak to lightning. So I should equip a weapon that has lightning, and it also has a chance that it can put me to sleep. So I'll put on a charm that prevents me from falling asleep. And then it just makes it that much more 
um, an easier hunt for you. By no means challenging, because there's still big damage sponges, and there's still the oddball thing that can be thrown at you, and other monsters sometimes get in the mix, and you didn't necessarily prepare for that. And that's what's really neat. It kind of keeps you on your toes, as frustrating as it can be sometimes. But don't you want to ride on top of the T-Rex? Uh, yes. Jumping on top of um, Anjanath and riding them around is super neat, because <laughs> you're just so annoying. Like You feel like such... And nuisance cells because you're just like stabbing them with your little knife for like one damage and it seems to aggravate them so much which obviously it would them being stabbed by a little thing but then you and then when you like wear them down it's very satisfying when you can get when you can mount them and start just wailing on them and then when you get a whole troop doing that it's cool i i love kind of putting like a muppet voice over the first couple of minutes with a with a monster where it's just like ow 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 stop it stop it what are you Go away! And then they spaz out and start trying to thrash around and get you off. Excuse me, Mr. Gregory, what are you doing to me? <laughs> and you basically have a Muppet walk around with you the whole time anyways with your palico. It's true. Just Scooter scooter from the Muppets as, uh, as, as a cat. <laughs> oh dear. I, mm, yep, that's, that voice is not leaving now. Alright, well, that being said, Iceborne is rad and definitely reinvigorates uh, everything because I found even by the end every once in a while I had the moment of just like eh, I've seen these environments before even though they're so big and wonderful like you you play in them a lot so having just that one more environment with the Horfrost Reach is enough to reinvigorate things and give you this exciting new space to explore and uh, I, I'm pretty certain I'm not amongst a minority of people who enjoy their snowy backdrops uh, whether that's just the Canadian me or whatnot, but I love having a snowy environment to run around in. <laughs> it's one thing I felt that was missing from the core Monster Hunter World experience, so I'm I'm grateful they invested that into this. And the fact that like they've basically made an entire new game with this expansion. Uh, I haven't fully explored the entirety of the map because it's huge, and I've only gotten like a few monsters in. But so far, the experience is very rewarding, and it, again has its new tricks and turns of places you can find to trap the monsters caves to fall down into and explore there's penguins so you can't go wrong with that which is great because it looks like they're wearing parkas by the way like their fur is designed it's fantastic like so my okay so because i haven't played iceborne yet um i can say this much uh as to why i believe you uh on their environmentals because when you're in that first stage you can almost feel like the jungle heat radiating off of things like yeah. they got really good at environmental so like i i fully believe you when you say it's like a chilly beautiful frozen like snow snow land well exactly like everything's just crisp like the woods like they, they yeah they nailed it just like they had with each other environment like the wild spar waste you just feel that oppressive dry heat the dustiness in the air um, you can just feel like the heat emanating when, especially, well, both literally on your character's effect and, and figuratively when you're going into the Elder's Reach and you're in that volcano and just the mystique of like all the crystal everywhere. Like, yeah, they, the, the team at Capcom has done a wonderful job of capturing these environments, which are almost more the star of the show than the monsters themselves, which is interesting considering the game is about monsters, but they're just as much a part of it, which is why world is in the title. Like it's important that this world be a great big awesome world that you can be a part of and feel like is living and teeming and can be interacted with at every point. So I love that they have continued that. And now you got the gaff 
you know, waist high deep snow for your Palico and you to try and trudge through. And they've thrown in a few new um, consumables that you can find in the environment. Uh, you got hot peppers now, so you can make some hot pepper drink you got to chug. Otherwise, the uh, the coolness will reduce your stamina. Oof. Yeah, so you got to keep on top of that. But with that comes also hot springs. So you can uh, find a few hot springs sprinkled around that if you just linger in them with the uh, Wait, endemic life. Is, there, is, is this just Death Stranding? Are you actually just playing Death Stranding? Are you trying to, are you trying to reconnect uh, America, Greg? No, I'm just trying to reconnect the frozen, frigid island that we're on with the rest of the new world. No, I don't know. I haven't played enough, or I haven't seen enough of Death Stranding. Don't put babies in hot springs, Greg. It's not good for them. Greg, do you have a baby strapped to your chest right now? I do not, but I can strap a, um, what are they called? Promacaws. Macaques? They're like little, because in all the other ones, they have endemic life that runs around to make the place feel alive and you can capture them and put them as pets in your um, your room. And they have these new little guys that hang out in the hot springs. They're like little marsupial mammals or some sort. But one of them you can <laughs> you can unlock as equipment by getting the right amount of tickets. You can get one of them that just rides your head. Aw, that's really cute. <laughs> it's really great. Because, I mean, they had, like, the Wiggler helmet for, like, that was, like, the Wiggler hat. And they had the, where you could wear the, um, the Kuluyaku head. Is one of the special ones. So having the, just the actual little creature just riding on your head is just kind of funny. And they all hang out in the hot springs and just chill. And you can uh, chill out there with them. And then it gives you some health bonuses. And also can give you the same heat reduction bonus that the hot pepper drink does. But not as long. Or chill reduction, whatever it is. So yeah, they've definitely made the environment come with its own new things. To uh, set it apart from the others. And then the new monsters... They're so far they all seem to be kind of palette swaps, uh, in for lack of a better term. Like they've just kind of built on. So yeah, we saw a lot in the trailer of uh, Beotodus, which is kind of um, sort of like fishy one that kind of swims through the snow, which is basically a palette swap of Geotodus, uh, Geer, whatever Geer, Geotodus, which was in the Wildspire Waste, uh, and then they also have Benbaro which is that rad-looking one that has the big antlers. And it's kind of built on the framework, I think, of Anjanath, because it kind of moves around like that. as the big tail. They just kind of beefed it up a bit, and then, yeah, threw antlers on it and reconstructed the face. That one definitely went through a lot more to make it different, but you can see a lot of the similar movements. But with these new ability, um, I guess, this new environment, again, they all get new abilities, which is great to see them not just do a palette swap, like they actually give them new movesets and new ways to interact with the environment, which was rad. Because, like, the Beotidus can dive in and out of the snow, as it does, and it definitely spends most of its time in the snow, which is contrary to what usually happened with Jiratidos if you got it to other parts of the environment. Well, I guess not. No, it was in the water a lot, too. But it didn't do a lot of, like, the leaping around attacks. And this one can get you covered in ice and stuff now, which will slow you down a bunch and sap your energy. So you got to watch out for that. But there's neat ways to kind of get it out. It's again with all these ones. It's kind of the pattern recognition, figuring out what they're weak against to kind of expose them and make them more vulnerable, so you can break stuff off and and capture them and such. And with Bambaro, it kind of builds these big old snowballs with its antlers by shoving through the ground, and then will like huck them at you, which is really neat and terrifying. Oh, it just really wants to play, uh, have a snowball fight with you. Yeah. 
Do you want to build a snowman? Uh, as it steamrolls towards you. So you can definitely see the influences. And aside from that, there's a bunch of other uh, of the like the core monsters that have come back now as well. So what I love is not only have they, as you now get into a, a master rank, you've gone from hunter ranks into master ranks, so you can take on master rank monsters and such. So they've given new life to like the core ones like Paolomo and Puke Puke and Anjanath and such, which thus unlocks new armor with them. Which is great, too, because, as you may recall, Mark, you would get um, just the basic low rank, and then you get the high rank, and it more or less looked the same, just, like, slightly different color. Yeah. Now they've actually made a complete new redesign, like, the new Puke Puke armor is rad. You look like an Inquisitor from, like, um, like with your little, like, Robin Hood kind of cap, and from, like, Cthulhu era or something. I don't know. It's uh, It's really cool. Be, and so you have not only just a bunch of new armor that you can get just from the basic monsters, they've also introduced a spin on them. So, like, one of the first ones you encounter is uh, the Viper, Toby Kadachi. So it it's a lot like Toby Kadachi, except now instead of being electric, it's poisonous and can stun you with paralysis. And it looks different as far as its color palette and everything like that. But it just kind of changes up what you're used to with these monsters. So they move in a lot of similar ways, but now you have to kind of rethink your strategy with interacting with them. It's not about just like combating the whole thunder thing. It's like, oh, now they can poison me and they can paralyze me. That's just fantastic. And they're super fast and great. <laughs> and they've done that with a few other ones. Like now they have a puke puke that now instead of puking up venom and stuff at you, it actually shoots water at you. And what's cool about that one is it wasn't simply a case of just again doing the palette swap and using the same move set like they seem to have introduced at least with that one especially is very elaborate some different moves with what it does with the water attacks that it does and i think it's great again it shows that they've put a lot of care into building this new world for us to explore and like they've done a lot of good faith with this game with giving us so many free updates and releases uh throughout the entire lineage of monster hunter world for the past couple years now it's been out three years two years where do we at? i think three years three years yeah and there's been constant free events constant free things just to upgrade your hunter with so you know paying for this dlc it's worth it because you get so much more from it it's kind of giving back to this company that has really given a lot and it's like for the amount of care that is being put into this expansion it's fantastic yeah it sounds great mm-hmm it's been a lot of fun to explore, and I'm looking forward to getting into more of it. But as always, it is a grind. Uh, and the new uh, hub that you get to go to, it's called Celiana, is really neat to explore too, but it definitely takes a learning curve because I find once you've spent so much time in Astera, you know your way around. So I keep wanting to be like, oh, wait, where do I go for the forge again? Where do I go to to go find uh, food again? Like, it, it's taken me a few... A few uh, re- returns to the hub to figure out how to get around but i'm starting to get the sense of it so there's hope for us yet um but it's a nice little space it's also introduces um a new bedroom for you that you can actually customize so you can put decor and stuff in it as you unlock through the game and there's a few little quests and stuff too it's like i think you need a picture of the wildspire wastes go get this stuff and bring it back and there you go now you have a picture you can hang on the wall of the wildspire waste for example so it adds a fun little mini game aspect on top of the already existing features of sending out the tail raider safari and being able to put pets in your room and stuff like that so 
it just makes that space much more personable than that you can uh, decorate it, which is neat too. For people like me who like decorating things in games, uh, it scratches that niche for me, <laughs> that itch for me. <laughs> but the real question is, can you mount a head on your on your uh, camp wall yet? I don't know, and I really hope you can, because that would be uh, as gruesome as it is at the same time great. I don't know if, again, and I say gruesome just because some people might find that off-putting, so it's maybe something that Capcom decided, you may, you know what, maybe not. So I could see why, but I'm hoping they went with, eh, let's just do it, and people can use it if they want or not, and I think it'd be hilarious to have, yeah, exactly, like Kulu Yaku just mounted on my head. I mean, they already had it, you can wear it, so I mean, eh. They're actually already doing the more gruesome thing of literally wearing their skin. Well, especially with, yeah, your armor and everything too, right? So, at any rate, I, uh... I'm very excited to explore more of it, and I definitely recommend it to yourself if you liked your Monster Hunter world. This is more of that, uh, but just even better with having some more stuff to uh, include. And they've done some minor quality of life improvements that they kind of throw some new tutorial stuff in with. Uh, it's hard. It's been so much in my brain. But like, was... I don't know. Have you, how recently have you played Monster Hunter World, Mark? Probably uh, six months ago. Did they have introduced at that point the uh, the catch claw whereas yeah okay cool so that's newer that's not necessarily with this that was uh something that was introduced i guess just before that okay that's the thing i wasn't sure because i hadn't played it for about just a probably about a year out before this came out so there's some smaller updates that i missed yeah that sounds like a very good update i uh i might have to actually check that out once i can get into another to another game Although, you know, Final Fantasy fourteen comes back every couple of months to haunt my dreams. I mean, it's a good haunting to have, really. <laughs> have you ever been interested in monster hunting, uh, Joe? I, so this, I mean, this entire conversation has just been like, I'm trying to think, what's a language I've never tried to pick up? Like Mandarin. I have no idea what any of this is. I've played 10 minutes of a demo of Monster Hunter Generations on Switch. Um, so, so this whole thing was like, I have no idea what's going on. These Canadians and their frosty environments just go on. And, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I I think for, for Monster Hunter, I, maybe I could see myself getting into it. I'm usually more of a narrative based person, but then that gets thrown out the window whenever there's a new Pokemon game. So, you know, do with that what you will. But in terms of the look and the art direction and uh, and the the kind of community aspect of it, I'm I'm interested in it, um, and I'm going to be getting uh, a PS4 next month. Um, so I'm going to maybe I'll dip my toes into that once I clear up my backlog of PS4 stuff because I already <laughs> I already started buying PS4 games over the summer in anticipation of well I'll get this system sometime soon. So, so just pick up stuff while it's on special. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I have. That's why I have Nier Automata, Game of the Yorha Edition, Street Fighter Five, and Bloodborne, but no PS4. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get there. Yeah. So. Well, uh, I mean, if narrative is your focus, of course, this one does. It's it's very thinly veiled narrative, and it does enough to serve the story. But ultimately, you're just getting in there to hunt monsters and explore. And if that's appealing for you, if you just want something that you can just grind away at your own pace on the side, 
then for sure. But at the same time, with Sword and Shield coming out, it kind of seems like the best of both worlds with Pokemon slash, you know, the Monster Hunter world, what it is with punk Pokemon endemically living in the environments that you can explore. So how big that is and if it's in the same scale, I don't think it will quite be, but I, I it looks like it's closer to that and you might just be fine enough just with that. Yeah, I, I as I may have as I may have mentioned, I I've had quite a history with Pokemon as many people have and uh like used to used to do tournaments a little bit and such and have put thousands of hours into EV training and stuff like that. Far too many hours then uh I question how much time I've put into those games sometimes. But but you know what? That's all right. It's okay. And right now, I'm not having an existential crisis about it. <laughs> as long as we don't think too much about how much time we put in the games, we won't collapse under the weight of our own time management. Yes, just like last episode. Pokemon, don't think about it. Video gaming, don't think about it. I think Monster Hunter actually shares a bit with Pokemon that might attract you quite a bit. Not because, like, you're obviously not collecting monsters, you're collecting monster parts, mm -hmm. which is sort of, you know, Pokemon plus slaughter, the ideal evolution of a Pokemon. Um, sometimes, look, I need a new pair of shorts and Pikachu's right there. There's a million Pikachu's. I could start a Pikachu short factory. Uh, is yellow your color, though? Like, uh, not, not really mine. It's... It's not mine either, so, like... <laughs> well, for 99 cents, you can download the DLC that will let you dye your shorts. <laughs> Heck, yeah. Pikachu shorts? Isn't that just Meryl? I like shorts. They're comfy. And I can dye them now for 99 cents. So, so uh, fun story. Years, years and years ago, um, I did a skit at uh, one of our local conventions, Anime North. And we did a skit about... Um, it's, it's sort of riffing on the whole you know pokemon thing uh bruno from the movie bruno shows up at one point uh and has a fashion show where he's definitely skinned some pokemon just to, like make ash's eyes bleed you know and just uh he comes out and because it's bruno he's in yellow and he turns around and uh it's just pikachu's face on on the cheeks oh gosh and it's like yeah Pikachu is shorts now. And that ain't right. The restaurant that I gave to the guy who was playing Ash was, I need you to scream directly into this man's ass. <laughs> and he just gave the most blood curdling Pikachu. Um, and then there was shotgun uh, killings to yakety sacks. And, you know, skits go off. Of it. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't feel good. <laughs> I don't feel all right. <laughs> I don't feel so good, Professor Oak. Yeah, but uh, Monster Hunter, though, um, what I was, was going to get at is, um, I don't know if you like like Jurassic World or the new Jumanji movies, Joe? Uh, I have not seen Jurassic World, and uh, I know nothing about Jumanji. Uh, sorry. Um, yeah, I was going to use that as a touchstone to say, like, Monster Hunter is definitely those movies as a game. It, 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 it succeeds at what those movies are trying to do similarly like on a land of the lost or during to the center of the earth, mm -hmm. you know, but the weird, we're going to encounter dinosaurs and aliens at the, in, in strange lands sort mm -hmm. of thing. And I think, uh, generally just a little more, um, just a little more interactive. So, so they're trying to recruit the rock to be in monster hunter world as well. 
Oh God, I would love The Rock in Monster Hunter World. <laughs> I'm just I'm just picturing The Rock like The Rock just ripping off his shirt and just trying to just trying to absolutely suplex a Rathalos or something like that. <laughs> And uh, it's a pretty good it's a pretty good picture. Uh, I'm liking I'm liking what I'm imagining. <laughs> yeah, I I would a hundred percent be okay with Rock DLC. I'd pay like fifteen bucks for that. <laughs> Just his character. You have to hunt him first, and then skin him, and then you can have his oh. <laughs> the Rock wearing his like survival uh, whatever it is explorer gear. The the, the Dwayne Johnson set. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then the new gesture is the people's eyebrow. The people's elbow. Yes. <laughs> Whatever it is he does, yeah, his eyebrow thing. Anyways, uh, as we digress into silly things, it's clearly a point to move on to other games that are sucking up time, uh, which, Joe, you have gotten into the latest Switch version of Dragon Quest XI. I, I have. I'm probably uh, a little under 10 hours into it. And it's been out for just about a week now. Yes, I got it the day it came out. I had... Uh, <laughs> It took a while to find it because my game shop that I usually frequent, I called them and they said they didn't have it, but they did. So I had to trek across Chicago. It was a downpour. It was not fun. But the game itself is very fun. <laughs> so this is the definitive edition, quote-unquote, of Dragon Quest XI, which came out for PS4 in 2017. Or might have been 2018 in the States. And uh, it's lovely. It's wonderful. They've made a couple of enhancements to the game. Um, the biggest things that have been frequently highlighted are the orchestral soundtrack as opposed to the MIDI soundtrack that um, was included in the original version. Thank um, God for that. Yeah. Have, have you heard why exactly they had the, the MIDI version in the original? I don't remember exactly why. Uh, last I remember hearing was that Koichi Sugiyama is uh, is difficult. Yes, yes. So he he is difficult. Also, at, at this comes up like every time he's brought up, but I think it deserves highlighting that he is uh, someone who denies uh, war crimes during from World War Two. But he's also eighty eight. So I mean, he was a teenager during World War Two. Really hard-boiled Japanese nationalist. Uh, so he wants people to buy the music and such, and he doesn't necessarily—he didn't necessarily want it in the game. But I guess they did enough poking and prodding to get them to include the full orchestral, and it is wonderful. It is so fully fleshed out. If you're using headphones with the Switch, it has 3D sound. So I mean, it is just—it's lovely. The only things with it is that sometimes the the music isn't varied enough, so if you're traversing across the, the kind of uh, overworld and across the land of Erdrea, the same kind of, you're riding your horse, it's upbeat music will be playing, even though you just saw your entire, uh, something bad happen. I just almost <laughs> had some a big spoiler there. But, but some procedural issues with, with music tone. Yeah, some some issues with tone, but other than that, in comparison to the PS4 version, in terms of what I've seen, it's you know a little blurrier. It's um, it it doesn't get up to whatever the PS4 Pro version got, which is like 1738p or something like that. It was a weird number. Um, more more than 1080. Yes, but not quite 4K. Um, 
it's it's uh, there's been a lot of kind of criticism that it's traditional and sure i guess if you want to call it that but it's also really well localized and you just get the feeling of confidence from it you just know that these are people who've been working on dragon quest for a long time they know how this works they're feeling nostalgic there's a lot of kind of callbacks and everything even from my very limited knowledge of dragon quest um but it is it's a lovely game with beautiful environments um a very easy to pick up battle system if you played a jrpg you're going to know what to do here the story is so far very engaging your hero is deemed the luminary and you essentially have to figure out what exactly it means to be the sort of chosen hero and from jesus yeah yeah an rp jesus as as is kind of traditional but um it's definitely takes it's definitely already taken some turns and i'm not even 10 hours in so i am very excited to continue with it so that's so that's dragon quest 11 i'm definitely going to keep playing this um i i've got off work for for a few days because i'm kind of going on a vacation to minnesota because my sister's getting married in a couple of days um thank you yeah and so for the next few days and my birthday is uh within that time time frame as well so i'm either going to be celebrating a birthday uh, a wedding or just playing dragon quest so double congratulations (laughs) (laughs) thank you so i'm just yeah it's gonna be a fun few days so you get to be RP Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, you get to go to a wedding, and you get to level up. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, yeah. I imagine, I imagine a few years down the line, the leveling up won't be as uh, won't be as fun. Uh, but uh, for now, but it, there's no stopping it. There's no, there's no stopping it. And every day we wake up screaming. Um, <laughs> Sometimes, um, sometimes I start screaming before the waking up. I, I, I mean, I'm 36, wow. which I think I'm older than you. You gonna bet on? Yes. Yes. Uh, you, you are scant the oldest person here. <laughs> Scantly the oldest person. Oh dear. Well, because I'll be 36 in April. Oh, fair enough. I, I don't know if you want me to point out my youth, or. <laughs> I mean, that's that's up to you. I, I turned 36 in April, so I'm going yeah, to no. be 24. So. Uh, you essentially oh, just that's right. uh, screaming early. I forgot that we are almost birthday buddies. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so yeah, so that's so that's Dragon Quest Eleven. But yeah, have you been toying around at all with the the two D aspect of it, or just sticking right now to a three D playthrough? I did a little bit. Um, the two D is really cool, um, but for me, I don't really have that nostalgia for uh, NES or SNES style graphics. So, I mean, I can appreciate them and like them and everything, but I think a lot of it comes from, like, a Dragon Quest nostalgia factor. Like, it's definitely, you know, it's smaller than the main game. It obviously doesn't have that same sense of, uh, that same breath and everything. But it's it's a really cool feature that they have, um, and I'm glad it's in there, um, even if I'm not going to be using it much. Well, that's pretty neat. Well, between this and uh, Monster Hunter, though, I guess you have a huge education um, moment set aside to book time with uh, Professor Solosi. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> I am. I am gonna learn. But uh, before 
that's been the, the more fun game that I've been playing and such. But uh, I've also been playing and finishing up Final Fantasy VIII. So, and you think that's more fun than Final Fantasy VIII? Yes, very much so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Last time we spoke, you hadn't gotten too far into eight yet, but you were enjoying it thus far. So what, what has changed? Yeah, it's... Uh... I am so I'm on the final dungeon in that Ultimicia's castle. Final Fantasy VIII, that there's a game. Um <laughs> that there's a game. That there's a game. Um there's they do not take time to flesh out those characters much at all. Um the you know, the junction system is still a wild mess that I grudgingly respect. But it's I'm I'm very interested in this game because it's like the ambiance of it tells a far better story than the actual game does because the the art direction and the environmental design is just amazing. I mean, when you look at Bellum Garden or um, the, the the kind of futuristic city that they go to in Esther. Um, that is just, I, I am absolutely in love with that, even if on Switch it's rather blurry, the backgrounds. Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking of uh, grabbing as well, but I'm like, I will probably grab for Steam so I can use the, uh, the upgrade. Yeah, it's probably, yeah, you should prob- I would probably recommend just grabbing it on Steam. So. Because uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to warn you up front, FF8 is one of my favorite games of all time, Joe. Oh, so well, careful then. what you say, or we might have to fight. All right, uh, let me just crack my knuckles and. Um, but um, and another thing is that in terms of um, the ambiances kind of story that it's telling, this is probably, in in my opinion, Nobuo Matsu's best work overall. Just in, if you're to take it game by game, it's so varied. It's you have. You have tracks like, you know, Liberi Fatale, which is just incredible on every level. You have a pop gem like Eyes on Me, which, as cheesy as it is, I absolutely love. I sing. It's, it's incredibly singable. Yes, I practice. Uh, as uh, as y'all might know, I'm a singer. I practice singing that song, like, weekly. It figures into my singing playlists and such all the time. And then my favorite track in the game is Fisherman's Horizon, mm. um, which it's That's gorgeous. That's a really nice piece. It's gorgeous. So um, I'm kind of I'm kind of disappointed in in the characters because the only characters I like in the game really are uh, are Idea, um, Squall, and Renoa. And so I'm left a little cold by it, and I'll probably finish that up today because I'm like halfway, I'm probably halfway through uh, Ultimisius Castle. I'm glad I'm playing it, and I'm glad I'm finishing it up. It's a fascinating game, and I really appreciate just how out there they went with a lot of stuff. But I just wish they would take a little bit more time with the characters. See, see to offer a counterpoint... Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think for me FF8 actually for 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 its time at least had one of the better fleshed out casts and I think part of that is that it got a good translation because mm-hmm. you lose so much in FF7 of who the characters are and a lot of it is just inferred 
Whereas in eight, I think we actually got like good dialogue and things like that. I, I'm actually surprised that you like Renoa over somebody like, I don't know, Zell or, or, uh, or selfie. Cause in, in my estimation, Renoa was extremely boring. I found as a protagonist, as a protagonist. Um, but I do agree with you that Idea is very interesting. Squall is very interesting. Um, in fact, I think Squall is far more interesting than people give, give him credit for, because I think he's been written off as a kind of uh, archetype, uh, you know, kind of boring, I don't give a sh kind of emo guy. And he, he's not really, though. You know, he's a teenager, but, you know, teenagers act like that. that that's a thing. Yeah, and he, and he grows pretty, I mean... I may think it's a bit rushed with how he grows, but he grows throughout that entire story. I mean, you can't really picture the squall that you first meet in the game having such outward showings of distress and worry when he's he's not sure if he'll be able to save Renoa and and everything. He does he does a lot of growing throughout it, and and for Renoa, I think she's I think she's an interesting character um, in that she's kind of this wannabe revolutionary in some ways. And, and it's almost like she's kind of being financed and, and propped up into this role by her dad. And, and I wish they would kind of flesh it out more how a lot of this is kind of her breaking away from, from kind of her dad's shadow and making her own beliefs and her own kind of moves throughout the world. Yeah, I can de I can definitely appreciate that angle. I think um, I think in general, like what speaks to me about everyone's story in Final Fantasy VIII is it's a development of empathy, like mm. especially especially Squall. But like everyone is developing empathy, everyone is growing up, and they're all kind of having to learn how how do you function as a real adult human? How do you how do you present yourself maturely? while the world is literally like time and space are falling apart around, you know, no, no pressure. Real adult problems. It's true. <laughs> time compression, modern problems call for modern solutions. <laughs> can I take out the trash by just throwing it through a time portal? <laughs> you can, sh you can try, um, and make myself two weeks ago, do it instead. <laughs> Making my problems yesterday, me's problems. And I mean, you can try that, but I imagine it would probably just let a sorceress from the future um, destroy the world. So, I mean, you're an innovator, Greg. We know this. So, you know, be with your ambitions and and, and give it a shot. But uh, don't say we didn't warn you. <laughs> That's garbage rain. <laughs> exactly. From a future garbage sorceress. Um. Well, there we have our next plot of Final Fantasy 16. Oh, dear. It's two times the Final Fantasy VIII. It should just double down on Final Fantasy VIII's plot. <laughs> so, well, I'm glad uh, your journey is still fun regardless. Uh, but uh, as, <laughs> I mean, as you were saying, it's quite a game. It's basically what Leona was telling you to last episode as well of buckle up. <laughs> yeah, I I was told to buckle up and I was still not quite prepared. I wasn't ready for you, Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> um, there's not, I mean, there's th things in news that have been going on. I mean, uh, Alpha Dream just filed for bankruptcy or closed down or whatever. That was the folks who did the um, Super Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga stuff, RPGs. 
that team unfortunately is uh, is I think going to be no more from what I can see, uh, which is very unfortunate. I hope they all find other places to go because those were great games. It's just too bad that they couldn't kind of crawl back up out of the deficit they were in. Uh, but in happier news, the other bigger RPG news that kind of was dropped was uh, more stuff about Pokemon as we get closer to the date with Sword and Shield. They got 18 gyms. That's a lot of territory to explore. Yeah, that means Galar is going to be massive, I'm guessing. And the fact that they're doing Major League and Minor League gyms kind of split between the two um, versions. I know some are going to be major, some are minor. I wonder what the difference is there. Greg, what about the national dad? <laughs> what about it, Mark? Uh, uh, nothing. <laughs> it's fine. Na- it's national fine. national Dexers are are just a fascinating Twitter adventure right now. Mm-hmm. And if any of our listeners are, you know, of course, very strong voices for the national Dex, I get why. Uh, and it might just be corporate hand-waving when they're saying like oh well we're you know setting aside putting so many pokemon in so we can have other features into the game which maybe to our benefit maybe not and like again it could just be corporate speak of just something to shut people up but ultimately i want to have the faith that game freak is trying to make the best game they can and try and shake it up i mean they're already putting so much into this so far that they seem to be shaking up what we're used to with Pokemon. Yeah. That if that means having a few less Pokemon that no one cares about, except for a very small facet of the population of fans, then I think that's a worthwhile sacrifice. And if there's ways they can reintroduce them in later games, if they've these things they've tried out aren't working, or, you know, whatever, heaven forbid it comes out as DLC, so be it. You know, there's nothing saying these aren't going to be ever introduced into the game. It just means they aren't going to be there at launch for sure. Yeah. And so be it. But uh, I am, yeah, I'm not too worried about what Pokemon are in there. I'm definitely more excited to see what they're going to do with this very big expansion on what the uh, franchise has been so far. Yeah, like it's, it looks like an absolutely massive content drop. So I think it'll be well worth it for everyone. And uh, yeah, the National Dex thing, you know, as much as I like to kind of make fun of it, I understand where people are coming from. I just think it's not going to matter. I think that Game Freak know what they're doing with Pokemon. They've really never released a bad game. Full, full confidence in Sword and Shield being being just a fantastic adventure, especially you know just with how big the world seems like it's going to be. And that's exactly it. It's just going to be a blast to explore. And as far as other Game Freak projects go, I mean, again, I'm hoping, as I think Joe mentioned this, and and Leona was echoing too in the last episode that we three were on together with Nathan is that uh, hopefully the success or failure of a uh, little town hero doesn't take away from uh, or isn't uh, bashed on because of the whole national decks kind of thing. Cause even that recent uh, little t- video they put out of like teasing all the characters and stuff. Again, that game looks very charming. So I'm excited to see what comes out of the studio with that as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that aside, there isn't too much else to talk about, so I say we can wrap this show up for the day. Got another one coming in nice and quick, which I'm liking. I'm going to try my best, uh, listeners of the podcast, to try and keep our conversation shorter now. And it always helps when we have uh, people who have all played the same things. <laughs> and not four people who have all played two different games each, and we can go on. Well, but to that end... For life. <laughs> Or, you know, just for as long as you need to play it and then put it aside. You do you. 
or the people will write um, manifestos on it, like Mark Chan. <laughs> In my thesis, I would like to express how much Squall likes black. No, <laughs> whatever. 250,000 words on the value of leather jackets. It gets cold in whatever the name of the world is in that game. I'm not interested in hearing about the leather jackets. However, if you write 250,000 words about how many of belt, how many belts is the ideal number of belts, you bet I'm going to read that. And I'm going to take that to heart. You have a good talk with Tommy Wiseau about that. <laughs> That's true. Got the, um, got the Tommy Wiseau Lulu fandom crossover here. Oh, dear. Please. We're good. Uh, <laughs> let's not go down that rabbit hole at all. Although, I got to say, I forgot to insert it now that you've gotten far enough, because I wanted to talk about it when you first brought up Final Fantasy VIII. You got to meet Moombas. Moombas are, like, my favorite, one of my favorite little, like, Final Fantasy creatures that I'm sad I've never returned. And I love them. Yeah, I love those little Roombas. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh dang you. Get off this podcast. All right, you know what? That's it. We're done. I'm kidding. I'm going to shout at everything, and then we'll be done. Dang it, Joe. You don't need to be mad at me just because you don't like vacuums, Greg. Okay? <laughs> Little lion vacuums. <laughs> you can imagine that's what they evolved for them for. Just to like, I mean, that's basically what they are. They're just caretakers. <laughs> they are more or less furry Roombas. Oh, dear. What have we... All right. Anyways, that's a whole thing. We got to get out of here because Joe's got to go. So, fans, you can reach us uh, through Joe, through the uh, RPG Fan social media. We are at RPG Fancom on Twitter, on uh, Instagram is the other one, right? And you can also talk to us on Discord. I'm G Delmy on the Discord. I'm at Greg Dalmage on Twitter if you want to yell at me for being an incoherent host. And otherwise, you can email me at RPGFan... Or sorry, that's the wrong thing. You can email me at podcast at RPGFan.com. That's what it is. Uh, I'm good at this, I swear. Check out Retro Encounter. They just played... What game was it, Joe? We just played Wild Arms 3. And how was that experience? It was an experience. <laughs> cool. There you go. Glowing review from Joe about Wild Arms 3. It was, Yeah, time... I had a time, and that time was around 65 hours. And it was more than I thought it would be. 65 hours of Western-themed good times. But yeah, they just did a big play journal of Wild Arms 3 and got some new exciting stuff on the horizon to play. I think some of the polls have been closing recently, so we've got some new games to get into. And aside from that, uh, you know, Rhythm Encounter's still out there. You can go listen to back episodes. Sorry for salting that wound always. And otherwise, everyone, thank you so much for listening to us ramble on about nonsense and video games as always for myself for joe for mark thank you for listening have yourselves a good one bye now bye bye